because of the effort that offenders put into getting into these positions of trust, right? Like I think, you know, there's three stages of grooming. The groomer, the offender will have to groom himself to look the part. He'll have to groom the parent to um, into believing that they're the least likely person that you would ever suspect would harm a child. And then after all that is done is when they will start to groom the victim. So, you know, establish a relationship with them. But I think I think that's one thing, like the first part that we often miss is, like I say, how much effort these guys will put into getting themselves into that position of trust, putting themselves to be the indispensable person in that area, whether it's a hockey coach or a scout or the physiotherapist or the team doctor or what have you. It's 90, over 90% of the time, offenders are somebody that is in a position of trust, left alone somehow with the child. So honestly, I just, I caution parents, if you're taking your kids to school events, if you're allowing them to join teams and stuff like that, you have to be able to have access to them at any time, anywhere. Like there's no closed door policy anymore. It's just, I think we're so far beyond that now. Welcome, welcome. We're so glad you can join us this evening and I hope you're keeping warm and cozy on these chilly winter evenings. It's January 17th, 2024 and this is the Empower Hour. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we educate, equip, mobilize and empower citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family and freedom. There are two more sessions of the parent webinar, which takes place on Tuesday for the month of January. This research-based program will equip you to guide and support your children toward optimal sexual health. Be sure to register to take advantage of the final two sessions. We want to extend a great big thank you to everyone who contributes to Action for Canada. Whether it's a gift of your talents, time, donations, or prayers, we're so very grateful. Of course, your financial contributions provide hope, solutions, and free resources to Canadians from shore to shore. Any amount helps, and we also have a monthly donor plan available. Thank you so much for partnering with us. In just a few moments, Tanya Gaw, the founder and leader of Action for Canada, will be joining us. For those of you who are new to the Empower Hour, Tanya and the Action for Canada team are on the front lines of educating Canadians about current affairs and relevant topics that affect us all. Now, if you've missed previous episodes, be sure to head over to our website where you can watch replays of Tanya's weekly updates as well as previous Empower Hours. Joining Tanya tonight on the Empower Hour is our special guest speaker, Dr. Kelly Palfi. Kelly is a registered psychologist and trained trauma therapist, as well as a retired RCMP officer. 
She's the author of the book, Men Too, Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse, and the co-author of the Creating Personal Safety Series, a three-book series designed to help parents have conversations with their children about preventing sexual abuse, as well as identifying the warning signs of sexual predators. She has also created a six-part educational video series entitled the hidden epidemic of male sexual abuse. We are so grateful that Kelly can join us to discuss this very important topic. Will you all please help me welcome Dr. Kelly Palfi. Awesome. Thank you so much, Heather, and welcome, Dr. Kelly. I'm so excited about you being on the show tonight. Action for Canada, well, for myself, since 2017, we've been addressing what's going on in the schools um, with the indoctrination of our kids and sexualizing them. And and I would think that uh, throughout society, we are seeing our risk, our kids at are at further and greater risk than any time in history of being groomed and sexualized, not only boys, but girls. But tonight we are going to focus on boys and the work that you're doing. And I just want our viewers, uh, one, I want to ask at the beginning of the show that this is a really important Empower Hour. So I'm going to ask you to share this Rumble video, to give us a thumbs up, and uh, to help us get the word out. That would be very helpful. We're not on YouTube. Uh, We're not permitted to be on there because we talk about these controversial issues, but they're important. And so we need this information getting out, and we can't do that without your help. All right. So please don't just watch it, but share it and give us a thumbs up. So Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You know, we're going to dive right into this. And um, I want to start by asking, like it would, I think most people would say it would be unusual for, you know, a, a woman coming out of all of this to be pursuing helping men come out of you know, these, uh, these sort of circumstances of sexual abuse. It's not unheard of, of course, but what got you started on this? How, how did the light bulb come on in your life to say, this is an area that is in so much need of attention? And uh, so I'm just going to give you the floor. Okay, first off, thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience. It's a real honor. So uh, yeah, I have a bit of an interesting background. I was, uh, well, I started my career as a corrections officer. And I remember when I was working in corrections, just noticing that there was a lot of men in prison compared to women. And honestly, that didn't make sense to me. I, I remember questioning, like, why is this the case? Like, it, it just didn't make sense to me. And then when I got into policing, um, eventually I went into the sex crimes units and specialized in, um, I actually was part of the inception of the Integrated Child Sexual Exploitation Unit back in 2002 and um, was trained as a subject matter expert. During one of our training seminars, Sheldon Kennedy came and spoke to us, uh, a bunch of seasoned sex crimes investigators, and told us his story about how he'd been abused by Graham James, his coach. And he talked about the reasons why he hadn't disclosed his abuse. And it broke my heart, to be honest. So um, what I what I noticed was that, you know, we had all this evidence of, you know, seized video evidence uh, from some of the investigations we were doing, showing that boys and men were being abused as well. But we had zero reports of them coming forward and asking for police support. So I just really started to question, like, why is this the case? Why are we not seeing these reports when we know the crimes are being committed? 
So yeah, so I, when I left the RCMP, I went back to school, did my doctorate degree and decided to research the subject of why are boys and men not reporting sexual abuse? So that's the very, very, very short version. <laughs> right. And uh, so for those of our viewers who don't know, Sheldon, uh, Sheldon, sorry, Kennedy was an NHL player. And when mm -hmm. we think about that, uh, really when we think about the predatory behavior, which we'll be getting into, but that trusted coaching position and, mm -hmm. you know, for that young person who is seeing the NHL, you know, before them, I could see that that would be an incredibly uh, difficult situation for a young man, because these are young mans. These aren't fully developed um, individuals, you know, who have the capacity to think that through or how to deal with it unless Parents have done an incredible job to discuss, you know, what do they call that uh, danger, uh, stranger danger, or even it shouldn't be stranger danger. It's uh, most likely generally the people you yeah. know best. Yeah. Yeah. Over 90% of abuse is perpetrated by someone the child knows and possibly loves. But yet, yeah, yeah, Tanya, um, yeah. When, um, when, when Sheldon Kennedy, you know, started being abused by his coach, he was 13 or 15 years old. And when he talked about the reasons why he hadn't reported his abuse, it shocked me. I mean, and, you know, here he, he talked about, you know, exactly what you said. He had this NHL dream. He knew he had this skill set. And he said he knew his coach had the means to get him there. So he literally had to choose between, you know, do I want to suffer with this abuse or do I want to have a career as a pro hockey player and also adding to that he knew that his new career was literally lifting his family out of poverty you know he was apparently bringing an income in he'd been raised poor so the money that he was bringing in was helping to support his family so that's a lot of weight for a 15 year old to be carrying but the the real the reason that broke my heart the most and absolutely shocked me was he said he felt like some of his teammates parents knew about it and did nothing that blew that my mind. Would even and and I don't know if when the news came out because I do remember the story, but not the details <laughs> with Graham James. He was arrested. Did he? Has he actually spent time in jail, or is he out already? And were there other uh, young men that he had abused? I would imagine so. You know, I, you know I, I sometimes get these guys confused. I don't think he's the one that died in jail. I think, yeah, I do believe he was convicted. I honestly don't remember what happened to him. Okay. All right. That's okay. Um, um, one of the things I, I, get a uh, I just want to defend stories. <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, so one of the things I, w I want our viewers to know is that you've done a six part series and uh, mm -hmm. focus on the family whom I've listened to since I was a teenager, because my mom would always have James Dobson on in the house learning about parenting and and other mm -hmm. things. And I'm so fond of that organization. And I highly recommend I'm going to provide a link because they have a helpline as well. And I'm going to provide that link in the description um, afterwards uh, when we post this on Rumble. But something that you had said to me, I mean, here you as well were a uh, trained um you were working in corrections. You were working in the RCMP. I think at corrections at this point, it, I was listening to the series and you said, oh, you were a police officer at the time and you were getting bullied. And here you yeah. were, you owned a gun and a badge and you would go home mm -hmm. and cry every day because of the bullying. And here we have these kids without the um, that kind of uh, ability to be able to think and process this. And even you felt in that situation, helpless, helpless to help yourself 
because here's yeah. superiors, powerful superiors in your life who could effectively end your career. And I'm not sure what the bullying that you de that you described entailed, but it gives a good picture. If you as an adult were going through this, how much more stressful for a child. Yes. And that's exactly the part that, you know, really made me take such an interest in male survivors because, you know, Sheldon Kennedy, he's 15. He's, you know, like all the reasons we talked about, he's, you know, faced with this like absolutely horrible situation. I was an adult. I was being bullied. I, I, you're absolutely right. These were my superior officers. I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I, yeah. And and I just remember feeling so helpless and thinking like, this is ludicrous. This doesn't make sense. Like I'm a police lady. How could I how could I be so bothered by bullying? But yet, you know, I'm in major crimes. I in. I'm on the top of my game. I'm in the my dream job if I speak. And in the end, I was right. I spoke out about it. And I lost my career. So I wasn't wrong. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's just shocking. My career was. Yeah. Yeah, it's shocking what's going on in the RCMP. And I'm not saying that our, all RCMP officers are bad. I think there's a lot of good ones, but they're being restricted um, in doing their job fully by the higher ups. And I experienced that uh, there is a predator that I believe is working in a school and a new ICE unit had been set up. And so one of my chapter leaders and I went and um, had a private appointment with this uh, officer, and we laid it all out there. John Euler, um, he had attended, he uh, assesses uh, predators and he gives uh, profiles them. And so we brought him into the conversation and we had a lot of good evidence to that should have initiated an investigation. And instead, by the end, we had a case number. Instead, by the end, they closed the file. And, you know, and then I went to the Chilliwack RCMP and uh, last year, February, to have these books uh, looked at the pornographic books and sexually explicit. I went on a Friday, they gave me a case number. And by the following Wednesday, I had done it privately. I hadn't made it public that I was doing this. And all of a sudden, it's all over the news that the police have uh, determined that under the criminal code, these books aren't determined, aren't, aren't uh, pornographic or sexually explicit. But everywhere else in the world, everybody's calling them. Any good common sense person is calling these books sexually explicit. So we have some obstacles with our RCMP and we're grateful for somebody like you being on the force. And I'm sure I'm confident that you were making a difference. Well, I'd like to think we were and I, and I agree, Tanya, there are still lots of great ones out there, but some of them have their hands tied, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And that's something as we work towards a better government, that's something we're going to need to uh, take a look at and uh, making sure that offices, officers are in place. Because the RCMP with Commissioner uh, Lucky, I learned very quickly, she's the top cop, was the top cop. She's been replaced now. And the commissioner of the RCMP is where politics stop. And, and that's where policing is 100% and the criminal code and the rule of law is all that's supposed to be on their mind. And Commissioner Lucky was bringing in saying that officers had to build a bridge with the LGBTQ, that they had to celebrate Ramadan. They were bringing all the political issues into the RCMP. And that makes it awfully difficult as well for people to do their job uh, effectively. Now, I want to ask you, um, you had also given an example of a young man that you had treated who had been uh, abused 
And it was the one who had gone to the camp. And again, it was a coach who had abused him. He come from a really good family, Christian family. The older brother had gone to the camp. And so this mm -hmm. young man goes to the camp and this coach had held him back and groomed him and uh, sexually abused him. And if I'm not mistaken, he actually went on to become a police officer in the sexual crimes division. And I believe he was responsible for having his, uh, the assaulter, uh, arrested. Is that correct? You've read my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it was, it was the yeah. series. It was in the series. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of his story for sure that he was uh, asked to go undercover and to challenge his own offender. And he did exactly that. He said he was having a hard time not throwing up while he was doing it. Cause he was so disgusted by the lies he was having to tell his offender just to help his offender believe that he was interested in doing that himself. Terrible. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so could you tell me with um, working with the young men, the boys, the adults, how are you finding how they are coping? And what is the recovery like? Like, I know that would be an exceptional story. Um, but as these men are finding a, 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 an ability to speak out, to get counseling, how is that going? I don't know if there's a statistic or a rate for recovery. I know that you had maybe explained to our viewers, maybe I think, I don't know if you had already mentioned it about what you saw when you were in corrections, like the amount of uh, men that were in there who had been sexually abused and how that contributed to drug addiction and other things. Is that correct? Well, I mean, yeah, research shows that a lot of the prison population, somewhere between 75 and 90 percent have had histories, including trauma and sexual abuse. So, um, you know, and um as far as my own clients and recovery, I think it depends on a lot of things for for boys and men, right? Like what we do know is that it's happening a lot more than people suspect. And, you know, one of the things that makes it possible for boys and men to recover is support from their parents, their peers, their environments, right? Mm -hmm. the, being able to talk about it. Um, you know, I mean, I'm working with uh, one male survivor now and He's doing quite well, but that's because him and his peers talked about it a lot before he ever came forward, right? And, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we are seeing a change in society, even compared to when I did my research. I'm noticing that, you know, the conversations are starting to happen. Boys and men are starting to feel safer coming forward. So that in itself makes a huge difference in their ability to recover. Right. That's good. That's good news. Um, there's two ways I want to go right now. Actually, you know what? I'm, I want to talk about um, you have a, a book series because one of the things that we need to do as parents, especially in this heated environment where our education system now is fraught with predators and there's a lot of good teachers as well in our education system, but we know that it's been infiltrated on purpose by individuals with a nefarious plan to sexualize our children. It's just a fact. And so we need to do a better job of educating our kids. And I know that with my children, whenever they would go out, I talked to them about, um, I had this little book series, I think it was called What's the Big Deal? And, you know, age appropriate. There was a three-part, four-part series. And they would talk about, you know, touching and that your body was private. And this isn't something I believe that the school should be teaching our kids. This is something we, because they could be grooming our children about what appropriate touching is or isn't. And, and so then you question and ask your kids, you have a conversation with them 
when they come home, even if it's with that trusted person. But uh, Trenzio, could you bring up uh, Dr. Kelly's books? And so we can just let people know before we before she describes them uh, where where they can be found on your website. Or OK, so this is is this right on Amazon or is this the website? That's, okay. uh, that's, that's Amazon there by the looks of it. That's that's my book for male survivors and their supports. And then we also have a children's series that we Three wrote part. as well. Three-part series right. called and, the Creating Personal Safety Series. Okay. Could you bring up one of those books, uh, Trenzio? There's, it, there was three links, I think. But even if we bring up one when you scroll down, the other two books generally on Amazon are included. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. Okay, so you've got one yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, this so one, explain unfriend the books. her. Talk. Yeah, that one is unfriend her. That's for teenagers or early teens, and it's all about warning kids about how easy it is to get caught up in human trafficking and what to do about it, basically. Okay. And okay, so there we go. And this is your website, I believe that Trenzu has brought up now, and the name Looks of like your it, website. Yep. Uh, Kellypolfi.com. Kellypalfi.com. That's easy to remember. And on the page that I sent out, the weekly update, when we bring a guest on, I always do a bio page and I'm going to be including the bio page in the description. So if you want any of this information, just scroll down in the Rumble description when we post this and you can find more of Dr. Kelly's information. You can find the series on the books of how you can speak with your uh, kids as well. Is there anything you want to add to, oh, here's one. Okay, the unsafe neighbor, for instance, that's a good title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's uh, about warning about how you know sometimes somebody that we introduce to our child that starts off as safe can turn out to be unsafe. So that one just is an example of that. So, um, right. little boy gets groomed by his uh, a fellow that his dad works with. Okay, and this one. That one is called Positively Me, and that was uh, one that my colleague wrote. She um, she wrote a book about a child attending to therapy. All right. Okay, well, these are very helpful resources, and we really appreciate you going over this. So Unfriend Her. I'm, I'm curious to know what that one is about, Unfriend Her. A friend, unfriend Her, that's about human trafficking. So that one is about a... A uh, young girl whose um, best friend is a year older than her and best friend goes off to high school. So she's lonely and feeling alone and winds up making friends with some people in the wrong group. And uh, just, yeah, the friend in the wrong group uh, has an older brother who's in university and wants to take pictures of the young girls, basically. Right. Yeah. What a what a vicious cycle, you know, that these kids can get themselves wound up in. And just so naively, um, thank you for doing that. Uh, could you tell us um, one of the things that we said is uh, more prevalent with the with boys and young men is that they stay silent. Yes, absolutely. And, mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, is I want you if you could explain why do they stay silent. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. That was the whole basis of my research. And but but, you know, I mean, the, the most common reason was honestly that it was their experiences were so traumatizing that they blocked the memories of them. That was that. Uh, well, trauma, not necessarily the blocked memories, but that was one of the most predominant reasons. Other reasons were that they were worried about. Sorry, can you hear my dog barking upstairs? Nope, you're all good. OK, <laughs> okay. Um 
Yeah, the other reasons were, um, you know, things like their abuse was too difficult to talk about. They they didn't know how to talk about it. Um, Sometimes they were confused about whether or not they were abused. That's a really common thing, honestly. Um, Lots of times, you know, if a young man is talking about a situation, you might be able to assess and say, okay, that was sexual abuse, but they might not necessarily identify that for themselves. So that's a common reason, just sort of this lack of knowledge, lack of awareness that it can happen to boys too. Um, sometimes when they, unfortunately, as you mentioned, Tanya, in the beginning, like these uh, pedophiles will infiltrate like the school systems and stuff like that, and they work together. So in a couple instances, uh, like participants in my research went to their own schools, went to their counselors or teacher, uh, therapist and tried to report their abuse and were actually sexually abused again. So these guys, unfortunately, I'd love to share more about the grooming process with you, but yeah, these guys will get working, collaborating with each other, get each other positions so that when, when you know, if a child does come to report that the person that they report to is actually another offender as well. So it is just crazy how they're organized. Um, the whole grooming process itself like the fact that they would have had a pre-existing relationship plays a big part in it. Groomers will, offenders will work really hard to, you know, win an affection, of, win a position of trust and affection of their intended targets. And that's very confusing for the boy or man, young man, who's been, you know, social interacting with this person for weeks, months, sometimes even years before they offend against them. So um, the offenders will work really hard to make it um, like make it appear like it's a consensual relationship when really their whole agenda the whole time was to offend against them once they reached their age of preference. So that pre-existing relationship is, is one reason Um, sometimes boys will test the waters by making a partial disclosure or something like that. And, you know, depending on how that person handles it or receives it, it can either like give them the courage to keep talking or shut them down. And unfortunately, traditionally, anyways, boys have been largely shut down, whether it's by their peers or by, you know, parents. Lots of times kids will stay silent because they don't think their parents can handle the information. They think that it's going to be too hard for them. They're protecting their parents or protecting their parents' reputation. For example, if it happens in the church and dad happens to be the pastor or something like that, boys will just say, you know, they're doing what boys and men are trained to do and they're protecting. So, yeah, um, that there used to be a myth that, you know, if you were, uh, victimized you're destined to become an offender so that's another big reason that boys and men will stay silent they don't want to risk being labeled as a possible offender mm-hmm. um yeah fear sometimes they're threatened right sometimes they're dependent on their abuser um you know uh yeah sometimes lots of times they'll the offenders will find a, a boy who's in desperate need of attention and um, then, you know, once they start getting that attention, they like it, they can become dependent on that attention. So, you know, if they report their abuser, there goes their only source of attention, that kind of thing. So, you know, the one thing that I came to understand from doing my research, Tanya, was that the reasons are really complex and they might start out for one reason, but then, you know, as they mature, as they learn about sexual matters, as they come into their own sexual identities, the reasons can change. 
So I, right. I think it's it's really complex for boys and men, the reasons why they don't report. Well, and one of the things that you had brought up as well in the series is that uh, predators will introduce young people to pornography. And yes. then that, um, so if a young boy is getting aroused by seeing naked women, which would be a natural effect for a young boy, and then, you know, the predator in the one instance had then managed to get the boy aroused. And so that was under a different way of doing it that was unnatural. And so now this begins to grow the confusion, the shame, and then who's going to want to talk to somebody about that um, incident. And this is why I always am going to be throughout, you know, the show making a cross reference to the SOGI 123, Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity, known by the UN as the Comprehensive Sexuality Education or Win Sex Ed in uh, Ontario, it's all known by a different name, but it is all intended to sexualize our children at the earliest age possible. And the way they're doing it is by introducing uh, pornography at a very early age. And that's how all of these books have strategically and intentionally been put in our school systems. I mean, okay. any other time we'd be shocked by having this material in the school system, but it's part of the plan. And what is the other thing that we hear the UN and comprehensive sexuality education promote, promote, promoting is masturbation. So we literally, mm -hmm. I, I've been trying to help parents understand that the education system is the biggest indoctrinating grooming system in Canada that we have, a mass grooming system. And, and our yeah. ministers of education and um, union leaders, super school superintendents, I believe in BC that the, there are many school superintendents who may be, um, I don't want, uh, you know, let's just say they're very closely aligned. And there is a district with many principals who are uh, reported as being uh, Masons as well. Uh, there's some really sick stuff going on in the background. And yet here, parents are going to be listening to this show. And yet uh, tomorrow morning, they're going to go drop their kids off at school with their lunch and say, have a nice day, honey. So if you're Terrifying. doing that, you need to be having a conversation with your children because yes. our schools are one of the greatest risks for parents in this country at this point currently. Yeah, Tanya, back in the early 2000s, when we first started up the ICE unit, the like a large majority of our offenders were associated to schools. You're absolutely right. And well, more and more, you're yeah. seeing headlines of teachers in North Vancouver. Uh, the principal, I, I believe, is one of the sorry superintendents or somebody is homosexual. They're hiring uh, deviants. I'm going to call them deviants because they're being arrested for child pornography. And, and uh, there's multiple incidents of this, especially in the areas where you've got a school board superintendent who is pro, um, I, it's not, I'm not even going to say LGBTQ because it's not the gay and lesbian. Their, their platform got sabotaged and taken over by the sexual trans deviancy who have the agenda to sexually groom our kids, right? And so we the want plus. to always make a distinction. The plus? The plus are the ones we need to be worried about, right? The what yeah. is the plus? That's pedophilia, right? So, but yes, Tanya, something yes. you said something you said a few minutes ago was so key that we, you know, I think gone are the days when we can rely on the education system to teach our kids proper information. We have to be educating our kids for exactly the reasons you talked about because 
you know, you, I'm literally writing a book on this right now. It's going to be called Speaking the Truth in Love, Mama Bear's Guide to Keeping Her Son Safe. Uh, it should be out hopefully by summer 2024. But um, it's literally about how we need to be educating our kids first, because if we don't, they're bombarded with all kinds of false information, biblical doctrine, the law of first mention, which teaches basically that Every time we hear something for the first time, it becomes our truth. We indoctrinate it as our truth. And then we compare all other information to that. So as parents, we have to be the ones educating our kids with the truth so that they have the truth to compare it to. Otherwise, offenders will sell it to them as if, you know, your mom and dad don't think you're mature enough to know this. They're holding out. They don't want you to have fun, that kind of stuff. Very deceptive. Right. And one of the things that um, is becoming an objective of Action for Canada and uh, groups down in the United States is to actually have sexual education removed from the schools because the foundation of that was from Alfred Kinsey and the head mm-hmm. of Planned Parenthood and the head of uh, Playboy. What's his name? I can never remember that guy's name. Anyways, Ever. these are somebody. Somebody will think of it. Yeah. And and so these are the individuals, right, that were behind sexual education. And for people who are hearing this for the first time, don't know who Alfred Kinsey is. He was a I pedophile do. who took <laughs> infants and young children and had other pedophiles experiment on them. And from infancy until they had orgasms and all of this repeatedly, repeatedly, and then determined from, from those experiments that children are sexual from birth. And therefore, if they're sexual from birth, then they should be given the skills in how to deal with their sexuality. And that's how sexual ed came into the school systems. So we need to pluck it out and we need to start talking about abstinence again. And, uh, you know, because it is being proven, statistics are finally coming out that where kids are taught about abstinence, uh, they are the healthiest of, of any of them. So it's just amazing. Yeah, there's, well, there's a, oh yeah, there's a couple books like the uh, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. It's all about research that shows that abstinence makes for the, or uh, that one partner in your whole life after marriage makes for the happiest partner. So I think that's a huge. (laughs) Strongest, strongest relationships. Yep. Strongest marriages. And you can see uh, for anybody that uh, is watching the Empower Hour, but you didn't watch my weekly update, please make sure I'll have it in the link below as well in the description. But please go back and watch it. Um, I happen to bring up this demonic uh, satanic temple. They're wanting to go against and wipe out all traditional values in society. And, And so they're in Canada. And that's what, you know, I played a short video in the weekly update if people want to watch that. But that's their objective. Not to what's tried and true and what works is traditional values and to instill those in our children. Let's just, uh, you know, break them down and then society at large. So, okay, um, I'm just checking the time here. What I want to, I think we've covered a little bit of uh, about the grooming. Is there anything further that you want to add? Well, yeah, like I just, you know, like I think one of the things that happens is, you know, that it gets missed because, you know, because of the effort that offenders put into getting into these positions of trust, right? Like, I think, you know, there's three stages of grooming. The groomer, the offender will have to groom himself to look the part. He'll have to groom the parent 
to um, into believing that they're the least likely person that you would ever suspect would harm a child. And then after all that is done is when they will start to groom the victim. So, you know, establish a relationship with them. But I think I think that's one thing, like the first part that we often miss is, like I say, how much effort these guys will put into getting themselves into that position of trust, putting themselves to be the indispensable person in that area, whether it's a hockey coach or a scout or the physiotherapist or the team doctor or what have you. It's 90, over 90% of the time, offenders are somebody that is in a position of trust, left alone somehow with the child. So honestly, I just, I caution parents, if you're taking your kids to school events, if you're allowing them to join teams and stuff like that, you have to be able to have access to them at any time, anywhere. Like there's no closed door policy anymore. It's just, I think we're so far beyond that now. Okay. And, um, is there anything like, what are some of the warning signs? Well, um, you know, uh, warning signs can be even just the way boys and men are coping sometimes like, um, you know, sometimes they'll have drastic changes in personality. Like um, the the boy that I talked about in my book, he, you know, he went away to basketball camp and before he left, he'd had a girlfriend. He was on the basketball team. He came home, he quit basketball. He started wearing baggy clothes. He broke up with his girlfriend, started isolating. Some of these like extreme character, extreme personality changes in in younger kids, you know, depending on where their abuse is happening, it could be anything from, you know, falling asleep in class to being the class clown. Like, you know, there's no one specific tell, but, you know, for sure, if a child is regressing developmentally, that's a big, big red flag. Um, you know, in infants, sometimes they'll, they won't know what they're dealing with. So they'll just say things like, mom, I don't want to go to daycare. I don't like the games they make me play, that kind of stuff. We just really have to be asking questions in today's day and age, like, honey, what kind of games are you talking about? You know, um, other warning signs would be, you know, just the the odd kid. Right. Like, you know, you, you know, I hate to say it, but back in my day, you know, like the odd kid got bullied. Now we're, you know, creating compassion and awareness that, you know, what to, to ask the question, what's going on with this kid rather than to bully them. Right. So. Right. Oftentimes, the odd kid is somebody who's struggling with trauma, like, you know, they're traumatized at home or they've, God forbid, developed like dissociative identity disorder or something like that in order to be able to deal with their trauma. So, um, yeah, I mean, the isolated kid, sometimes it's a class clown because they'll really they'll use humor to distract from the reality of what's going on. Right. Um, anytime, you know, for example, a youth is avoiding you know, sort of intimate relationships. Oftentimes that can be because they're uh, like intimate, you know, relationships with their siblings or their parent or whatever. Oftentimes that can be because they're afraid they might accidentally disclose. So like mm -hmm. there's, there aren't any like specific if this happens then, but you know, I think one of the biggest warning signs we need to be aware of is anytime an adult's trying to isolate a child, that is probably the biggest warning sign ever. Anytime mm -hmm. an adult is not the parent trying to get the child alone in any way, shape or form, whether it's, you know, in a doctor's office or, you know, in a training session, that's the biggest red flag we could possibly state, in my opinion. Right. Okay. Yeah, we need parents to be in, as involved as in possible. And uh, like Dr. Kelly's saying, 
Don't allow your children to be alone uh, with another adult individual. Okay, so I wanted to know, um, is it the majority, is it male men that abuse, sexually abuse uh, children, like whether it's male or female, whatever? Tanya, that's a tough question because traditionally, if it's been a woman, men are very reluctant to look at it like it's abuse, right? So, um, I mean, statistically speaking, I think, you know, there, there's different different reports that say different things, but I think we we know that we could say conservatively at least 30% of offenders would be female. But um, again, like I say, oftentimes it's seen as a coming of age. People don't really look at it as if it is abuse, but it is, right? So, you know, I mean, we always kind of say that the one thing that we know for sure is that there's a lot of underreporting. So, you know, we really don't have accurate statistics. Okay. And again, I'm going to go back to what's going on in our school systems as well as that. Um, I know that you, the stats that you provided and is one in six boys are reportedly mm-hmm. abused compared to one in three girls. And I would say that with the sexualization programs going on in our schools, where you have an activist in the classroom that's presenting this kind of uh, material to kids, that's sexual abuse. And at any other time, now it's being called being inclusive. But make yeah. no mistake, parents, this, they're sexually abusing your child at school and grooming them if they're introducing grooming. this kind of material or not prohibiting this material from being in the schools. You've got superintendents and people on school boards who are behind this. And so then thus the question, the rising question, do we have an epidemic of pedophiles and predators on our school boards, superintendents, and in our schools. So we've yeah, got uh, you're, 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 you and I would think alike, honestly, I, you know, I get so exhausted because I mean, I've been, I've been talking, trying to educate people about just the prevalence of male sexual abuse for years. And I, I said to a friend the other day, like, it feels like it's too late. Like, it feels like it's like way past that you know, we're way past that now. Like it's, it's, it's crazy how indoctrinated this, you know, how, how, yeah, it's just crazy how much is going on. Yeah. And the good news is, is that where, you know, it's a pendulum and throughout history, you know, the people start putting down their guard, they're living in, in traditional values, living a good life, working, tending to their kids. Meanwhile, in the background, the deviants and, and those with an evil agenda are, are busy working. And they're the 1%. And the 1% did this to our kids. And so now it's time for us to rise up as the majority and undo it. And that is happening. There's 26 states in the U.S. who are passing legislation against the sexualization of our children, against sexually mutilating our children, and against drag queens, etc. I mean, laws against it. And then, of course, in Canada, we've got Premier Higgs in Nova Scotia, sorry, in New Brunswick, who passed policy 713. And uh, then Scott Moe, Premier Scott Moe in uh, Saskatchewan and Action for Canada, I'll keep saying it, was doing a humongous amount of work in the background for many, many months leading up to getting SOGI and Planned Parenthood banned. And a lot of parents were activated through even through other organizations saying you need to you need to assert yourself and make those phone calls. You need to write those letters of disapproval. But the greatest thing you can do is pull your kids out because those are those bums and seats are dollars to not only to the school district, but to the union leaders. And these union bosses are full on 
involved in this, which makes you question um, even them. If we had police that could investigate, I tell you, they, they wouldn't, um, you know, they wouldn't be shorted for individuals. So the one thing before I just go to another question is that I want to encourage people as well. We had John Euler on the show uh, previously, who I mentioned, and about profiling sexual offenders. He's got over, he lives in the United States, over 4,000 sexual offenders that he's dealt with. Um, he's highly qualified. And we did a two-part series on the white-collar sexual psychopath and how to identify them. It talked about the pornography being introduced as at the beginning. And then it's a very slippery slope down that uh, uh, fall into deviancy and to a point where the predators become so immersed in it that they actually get to a point where they enjoy harming others. And um, that's where a lot of the predators end up in prison. But prior to that, I believe you have said that a predator will harm up to 150 or more average, 150 children in in their time, right? That's yeah. shocking. Yeah, that's not uncommon. That's a preferential child molester. So someone who has a specific age and gender of preference. Yeah. There's two different types of offenders, situational or preferential. The situational will offend against anybody anytime the opportunity arises, whereas the preferential will will be the ones that put like considerable effort into grooming themselves to look the part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're and the ones like... Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, you know, uh, you know, as far as advocacy, also demanding that, you know, criminal record checks be done on anybody who's being allowed to work with children, period. 100 percent. And that's still I mean, it could be that they've still never been caught. Um, sure, but yeah. you know what? It's it's a process it, that you need start. to do because, yeah, it's it's it could be a red flag for somebody who is. And, you know, they won't even sign up then if uh, they'll change their mind all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I remember yeah, I talking about. To, yeah, I got asked to um, get involved with the uh, drag queen readings at the library here just to, you know, have a voice in front of the council about it. And in the end, they didn't let us. But uh, I went home and did my homework on the drag queens that were, uh, you know, supposed to be doing their readings. And they all had the Internet somewhere on their personal profile pages, whether it would be Facebook or Instagram. Every one of them had the symbol for pedophilia activity. Exactly. And what we've been doing, we've got over 110 chapters nationwide and all of our teams are mobilized. And when we hear that a drag queen is going to be performing locally, first thing I say is always look them up online. Because when they're in their, in, in their sexual deviancy mode on stage and performing for other individuals, they're in their glory. And they don't mind posting that everywhere. They're so proud of it. But then all of a sudden you pull this information up and you let your mayor and your city council know or your school board know this is who you have coming in. How can you have a sexual deviant? Would you have a stripper coming in? And, uh, you know, having been performing like that, should they have access to children? And John Euler has also said that any uh, drag queen is, is, has an addiction to pornography and therefore that's the first red flag and pose a risk to children. And we need to be able to say that out loud. They shouldn't be around kids. It's not natural. And it's very suspect. Right. And, you know, that's his research. I'm not familiar with that piece that they would all be addicted to pornography. But I can, you know, I mean, definitely there's the grooming piece. There's the creating the interest, peaking the interest, lowering the kids' inhibitions, 
getting them comfortable being touched. Like if they're doing a child's makeup, for example, if they're offering to do the child's makeup, that's an opportunity. You know, one of the early stages of grooming is they will get the child used to being touched. So, you know, uh, you know, they're they're having this child touch them while they're dressed very provocatively. That's sexually suggestive. That's total grooming. Absolutely. That's grooming. Well, I know somebody has asked in the uh, Q&A here, and if anybody has questions, I'm going to try to go through a few of them before we wrap up the show. Is showing explicit material to boys abuse? They can't unsee what is shown to, to, to them. It stays in the memory bank. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, distribution of pornographic images, distribution. Oftentimes they'll show children images of children with adults, which is definitely a criminal activity. They'll do this, though, to lower their inhibitions. They'll say, hey, look, other kids do this with adults. Like, this is normal. This is what, you know, they introduce it and as normal. They, the kid doesn't know any different. Right. And it's, it's considered exploitation of a minor because you're exploiting their innocence. They they wouldn't be yeah. able to stay say, I remember my daughter in grade eight. Um, she had come home just in tears because the I, I don't think kids should be allowed to have their phones in class. They shouldn't come out of their lockers. I mean, grow up. I mean, if we needed to make a call to our parents, we went to the office and we called our parents. But other than that, I think that phones should be completely restricted at school. It's not a safety issue. They can go to the, the office because my daughter was exposed to pornography by some kid holding it up on their phone and she was devastated. And, and um, I don't want that risk happening to other children. Another oh, thing wait, they're I, doing, to, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but sometimes like in younger children's when younger children when they play video games on their tv or on their phones the um phone will actually have face recognition tendencies and then it can recognize that it's a small child and then they'll flash a pornographic image across the screen screen but when an adult tries to look at it again the face recognition will see that it's an adult and not display that image so totally destroying these kids terrible I never allowed my kids to have cell phones. I thought they were going to report me for child abuse. <laughs> I don't have a cell phone. I'm like, too bad, get a job. And uh, so literally, my kids didn't get cell phones until they were um, old enough to get a credit card and then get a cell phone. And I was not going to be responsible for exposing them this. We did old, things old school. I still have an answering machine. <laughs> That's the way I'm going to do it. I just encourage more parents, you know, don't put them on a video game on there. Get them a nice book, crossword, something. It's just, let's go old school. All right. It was good. It served kid, our kids yeah. well. <laughs> all yeah. right. Another question. Is there such a thing as psychological sexual abuse without any actual physical involvement? Absolutely. Like when they're exposing children to pornographic content, that's abuse. Absolutely. I mean, back in the day, 2004, one of the first crimes we investigated in the ICE unit was distribution of child pornographic stories, just written format. So yeah, like, yeah, exposing themselves. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, anime. And yes, um, yeah, there's, I can't remember, it's a Chinese cartoon as well. It's not anime and it's another one. And I, I just, it was, it's violent cartoon anime. I'm not yeah. quite sure what it's called, but I was devastated when somebody had brought it to my attention because it had um, involved children. And uh, anyways, yeah, just get your kids off, put all the blockers on there. You can, I'm terrified about the se uh, 
get a flip phone, <laughs> get a flip phone. But the they still sell those apparently. They do. I was looking at one for my mom the other day. They do. And 99 bucks, <laughs> 99 bucks. You can get a good old fashioned flip phone if your kid really needs to have one. Because, you know, I know there's parents that are working and concerned about their child uh, walking home as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I know we talked about the child's acceptance of physical touch. We can start with tickling, wrestling, roughing up. And then eventually getting alone and then, you know, that child is already used to their touch. Big red flag. Uh, again, there was comment about, we've already talked about that. Okay, warning signs also. Sorry, I'm just flipping through my notes because it was like so good. Um, now, Tanya, another really thing that I think... Mm -hmm. Sorry, another thing that you just don't want to skip over that I think is important in that list is that they'll often test the kids. They'll test their loyalty. So they'll let them do something like drive a truck or smoke a cigarette or drink alcohol or something like that. They rationalize in their own mind that it's better to be caught having a, allowed a kid to swear or even look at a magazine. Um, so they'll often do like an introduction of something the kid's not normally allowed to do to test their loyalty to see if they get reported on. So even honestly, I think even in today's day and age, we need to educate our kids that this is part of the grooming process. Like we just literally have to be that honest nowadays, I think. Right. I, I remember when I did my own research, my, my supervisor said to me, um, you know, Kelly, we can't put it on kids to um, protect themselves. And I responded, well, I'm sorry, but in today's day and age, I think we have to, like, we just do. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm going to emphasize if parents can somehow, grandparents get involved, pull out your RRSPs, do whatever we need to do to help um, one of our kids, you know, in, a, in like my, I'm going to have... Um, my first grandbaby coming up within the next two weeks here. I'm very excited about that. And, you know, I know how important it is for one of those parents, for my, my daughter-in-law to stay home. And we're going to be doing everything we can to support that. And then yeah. the other part of that is, is homeschooling. And that if you are both working parents, you can't make that work. Are you aware you can do more in two hours and two and a half hours at night with your child than Absolutely. what they'll learn in school? And you won't have Absolutely. them at risk of being offended yeah. and being exposed to all of this. Because, I mean, this is like putting your child in a cult. And then yeah. with the indoctrination, if you look at the, again, in the weekly update, I, I did a um, an Empower Hour back, I believe it was in October, on exposing Soji123 Toolkit. Now, this is the actual resource from the BC Education for K to 6 of what they're teaching children. And I highlighted the indoctrination, the sexualization, and the grooming. It's 100%. This is happening. And so yeah. if you figure K to 6, those kids aren't coming home necessarily and telling you. Because when you look at how they've done it, it's so sneaky. And mm -hmm. it would be hard-pressed. And then they're creating allyships with the kids and these gay-straight alliance clubs. And then they're putting little uh, seeds in their minds that the parents, you know, aren't on their side. That's the allyship. So when they get to a point where the child is now 14 years old, 13 years old, and and um, expressing that I'm no longer the same sex, that child is fully indoctrinated. You've got a child that's coming out of a cult, and now you need to uh, do something with this child to with all of your values that you thought you were bringing your son or daughter up and who are gone. And it's how do we undo that? And that's the mess that we're trying to clean up with many parents. Many thousands of parents are going through this. 
Yeah. And I think it's a good point you brought up earlier, Tanya. Like I have lots of friends who are homeschooling their kids now. In fact, I've talked to some of my former colleagues from the ICE unit and they're now paying for their grandchildren to be homeschooled. But it's a really good point that, um, you know, like my girlfriend homeschools her kids and she said they do two and a half hours of, of school a day and that's it. And they're done because they get through it that fast. Whereas you sit there, how much wasted time is there in a school? So, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times it has come to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, not everybody has that luxury. So, again, back to we have to start educating our own kids. We have to, you know, we we have to parents, unfortunately, you got to teach your kids about masturbation. If you don't, somebody else will. And they need to know the truth about it rather than, you know. Well, or, or at least. Yeah, because we don't want to be the ones sexualizing them now, though, right? So at least if they had brought up the term, like, or something along the lines of just asking questions of kids, if a, if a teacher or if an adult in your life starts talking to you about your body, and um, I want you to tell me right away, and you tell that adult to stop, like, you know, for the younger children, that's a conversation. Because one of the things we had Audrey Werner come on in um, September, we had, did it in a power hour. She's the one that did the whole history on Kinsey and the rest of it. And she's one of the ones in Texas who has had been part of the legislation in overturning all of this. And she's done uh, very clearly, we were talking about teaching about abstinence or teaching about uh, biblical sexuality or whatever. And she had a very good case. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to have her on the show uh, to talk a little bit more in detail about this because we needed to find how we do talk to our kids about these issues without ourselves beginning to sexualize them in something that they would have never thought about. Their innocence is so precious. It's a hard line right now. Well, but Tanya, you know, you're also kind of like, you know, we, we know an adult's intent. We know the, the mature subject content about all this stuff, right? If you teach a child these kind of concepts from early age, they're just going to go, oh, gross, right? Like they're not going to, they're not going to be traumatized and, you know, necessarily wanting to engage in that stuff. If you're just teaching them, like you're teaching them, this is an apple, this, you know, I don't know. Yes. I just, like yeah, you say, age just, appropriate. Yeah. I know that I really did value that series of the books that I had, uh, What's the Big Deal? I should, um, just was seeing it, Stan and Brenna Jones, What's the Big Deal? Why God Cares About Sex was the name of the series. And I remember it talks about a mummy's tummy and having a baby and just a little picture book it started out with for the kids when they were younger. And then by the time they were teens, I mean, it got into it. We had conversations. Um, I have a son and a daughter and just being able to have those conversations in a safe environment. So they had a healthy, mature understanding that was always very age appropriate. And yeah, uh, yeah, this is a good conversation. Okay, so um, I know that uh, just two more things is one, you said that 9% of victims go on to become offenders. And I thought that number was so low. I thought that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that that's the case in every culture, but, you know, across like Western culture, that's what the research showed was that less than 10% of, you know, victims go on to reoffend. Um, there's a book called uh, a book about predators. Anyways, um, Anna Salter, Dr. Anna Salter, and she does a bunch of research on offenders. And one of the things that they talk about in her book was how they had threatened a lot of these psychopathic sex offenders um, who are all claiming to have been abused. That's the reason they offended. 
So she quoted research where they all they had to do was threaten them with the polygraph and that number went from 80 percent down to 30 percent. So I don't think that that's true, that all of these offenders um, had been you know, victims themselves. It, but, but that is part of why so many victims stay silent is because that myth mm-hmm. exists that if you were uh, if you were offended against, you're going to be biologically predisposed to be an offender. It's just not true. Like okay. most of like I've I've worked I'm 50 men. I don't know. And one, I think, offended, offended, but he was still under 12 like against a cousin or something like that of similar age. So not really offending more. So just reenacting what was done to them. Right. Typically they go, they typically, they're more likely to take on a protective role and become police or helping profession where they try to prevent this than actually put themselves in that situation. But it does. And, and from what we see in the news, I, I, I did have it in the update as well. And what you were saying about the couple of examples that you have, it sounds like the actual abuse that takes place is. But you mentioned that if it is it, if it is a woman who is the abuser, the offender, then it may not be reported. But there is a high prevalence of male to male abuse, it seems. Would you? Oh, agree yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. OK. And, but, you know, and uh, even with all the messages today with this soji stuff and you know a lot of these times it's it's not being recognized as abuse right exactly. a coming of eight it's crazy okay here's another question for you do you know the percentage of known abused males that come from broken families not having a father in the household that's a good question that's i don't but i would say it's a lot higher right because single mm-hmm. parent families put you know the child is in a more vulnerable position um mm-hmm. a lot of the men in my research well some of them anyways had been specifically targeted after their parent had died after their other parent had died so, so another adult will swoop in and offer to fill that void right these are the kinds of things we see when there's natural disasters in third world countries right pedophiles race over there to help it's oh, terrible yeah. the U- the un crew go in and help. I call them pedophile central at the UN. So many stories of uh, of abuse. Um, one of the things as well is, is that uh, predators also know that their lives are at risk if they get caught. Uh, because um, I knew a fellow that I went to school with, and I didn't find out till, you know, actually quite a number of maybe four years ago, that as a young boy, he'd been uh, sexually assaulted by a neighbor, but he was in a home with a mom and dad. And that dad, his dad went over there and let's just say he took care of things. Now it will never reverse or undo it, but it is quite something to be able to have a parent in the house. And if the police and society at large isn't going to protect our kids, it's not that we're condoning this in any way, but I'm saying that the predators know that, you know, when you touch somebody's child, you're, you're lining yourself up for big trouble. And they better remember that. Because the hammer's coming yeah. down. People are sick well, and tired and actually, of this, and we're not going to put up with it. Well, and that is, honestly, though, Tanya, that is something I talk about in my next book, is that, you know, we can't be doing our own vigilante justice because we need our no. men out there being fathers, not being put in jail for beating up the, their child's offender. So the right thing mm-hmm. to do is to get the authorities involved, not take our own action, right? Because, like yeah. I say, I mean, violence doesn't solve violence on any front. No, but from the mind of the uh, predator, right? That's one of the concerns, though, that they have is that 
Uh, I don't know, you know that that would be enough to stop them, honestly, though. Stop them from part doing of it. the excitement for them is fooling us, right? That is part of the excitement. Well, I know that in uh, past times, like there, there was actual predators and pedophiles who would actually get the death penalty for these crimes because, as you said, you, they go on to abuse and in our system as well. So I don't know where all of this is going because it's become to this heightened rate where society feels helpless as to, um, you know, these predators uh, are, are being put in jail. Like um, the individual that wrote, helped to implement the Win Sex Ed. And I'm sorry, I forget, forget his name right now. He was under Win, um, under Premier Win. She, she recruited him and he's a pedophile. And he spent, I think it was not even two years in jail and he was released and he was a vile pedophile. And so, you know, in, yeah. when Trudeau came in, he was softening the laws against sexual predators, etc. So, again, I'm going to encourage people, again, we're not condoning any violence. We're just talking about what the outcomes have been in the past and where we are with the government making all of the criminal code and the laws really, really lenient towards sexual offenders. Therefore, they're rising up because they have no concern even about pay, uh, spending life in prison anymore. I mean, we've got to come down on these sexual crimes really hard so that others are either going to seek help or really reconsider what they're doing. And that means we need to vote good people into office. So if you're somebody that understands the gravity of this in the last election, uh, municipal elections that we had uh, in October of 2022, we got a number of Action for Canada chapter leaders and members voted in as school board trustees. This is what we're working on together. Get involved in our chapters. And then also the other thing uh, that you can do, we've talked about homeschooling. And if you're a parent or parents who have to work and you're not able to homeschool, you partner with other parents. Somebody else may be really good in math. You may be great in English. Dads, you can teach those kids how to do oil changes. There's so much we can do as a community. So I would really, really encourage you to uh, get involved in your communities and with Action for Canada. I'm just the last final question is what um what can we as a society do for well i think the males yeah i was i was gonna just add that anyways i think we have to have these discussions we have to especially when it comes to boys and men right like we have to keep talking we have to keep creating safe space for boys and men to come forward and you know acknowledge what they've been through support them in their struggles right you know men are coping with workaholic becoming workaholics or hypermasculine sports or avoidance of intimacy or avoidance of parenting their own kids. So, I mean, these are some of the telltale signs of someone who's trying to avoid a subject, for example. So we just, we need to start having these conversations more openly. We need to just like create this awareness that this is going on, that boys are being abused. I honestly think the rate of abuse amongst boys, young boys is probably equal to girls. Uh, so, mm. I mean, we need to just, we need, you know, we're, we're living in a fatherless society in so many ways. Well, we have to protect the next generation of little boys. We have to make it safe for them to get help if they need it. We have to educate them about the dangers and, you know, the ones that are already struggling. We have to make it safe for them to get the support they need. 
Right. I I really appreciate those words. We've talked a lot about raising strong men, about men being like they've been emasculating men for decades and, you know, uh, raising up these strong women for the purpose of and getting, you know, uh, mothers working and and uh, destroying our economy so that they would have control of our kids. And what we need is for men, for boys to know how to be men. And we need them to have the stability of strong men in their lives as well. And those need to be trusted relationships. And um, anyways, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything that you would like to add in closing? Well, Tanya, I was just going to say, I think our boys and men know how to be boys and men. We just, as women, we need to stop shutting them down. We really do. God made them as men. They know how to be men. We just have to let them be it and stop calling them toxic or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I okay. love it. That's a good one. All right. Well, Kelly, Dr. Right. Kelly, thank you so much again to everybody. Please, please make sure that you check out the description. We'll have all the information to gain access to all of the resources from Dr. Kelly. And uh, we look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you so much. Okay. My pleasure. God bless. You too. All right. Whoa, that was amazing. Okay, we're going to do a couple of Bible verses in... No, you know what we'll do first? I think we're going to go for next week's guest is going to be, of course, one of our favorite, Alex Newman. We're going to be talking about, again, indoctrinating uh, our children to death. That's the name of his new book. We have had Alex on numerous times. He's part of the public school exit in the United States. I think it's over 3 million kids have exited the school system and parents are homeschooling. He's a force. And uh, he, like myself, deals with many different issues. So I always enjoy having Alex on. We're going to talk a little bit about his uh, trip to COP28 and all the environmental uh, fraud that's going on in the background as well. Uh, we'll probably touch a bit on the mass immigration. You know that the southern border of the U- of the U.S. is going through. Uh, it's just a nightmare, uh, so, basically. And a lot of those people are then traveling up here to Canada. Our immigration system's a nightmare. So we'll touch a bit about that. But Action for Canada really wants to stay focused on the sexualization of our children through the education system and 100% getting this removed. So please make sure that you join us next week. All right, the Bible verses. So uh, the first one is Isaiah 61.3. He has sent me to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And the reason I chose that verse, it's one of uh, Dr. Kelly's favorites. And, but it just, uh, it, it, it just proves that like God is here for us and he wants to heal those wounds. God didn't create evil. Um, evil has had a time on this earth. And there is no doubt that there's going to be suffering and pain. But God promises that he, he would turn, you know, beauty from ashes. And if you just take a look at that verse and the oil of joy for those who are mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And there's many of us who have um, childhood uh, trauma that we faced and we've grown out of those. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to be a little bit transparent here. I've talked about it a time or two on the show before. I'm one of those people. And God has worked absolute 
miracles in my life and has just taken me out of the ashes. I used to say that I would have my Job moment. And if you don't know about Job in the Bible, he had everything taken from him. There was many hardships and he would just sit, was sitting in the ashes. And I was, I was sitting in the ashes one day and I, I, I just had to surrender everything over to God. And it was then that he could start the healing process. All right, the next verse. Psalm 147, three to six. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord upholds the humble. He brings the wicked down to the ground. Boy, that's a promise that we're all looking forward to, right? The wicked will not continue. There is going to be justice. And uh, so I hope and pray that this Empower Hour tonight with Dr. Kelly uh, was beneficial to you, or possibly there's somebody that you know needs to hear this message. So again, please share it. Give us a thumbs up. And thank you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless you and God bless Canada.